I hope you're encouraged by a theme that is really strong today about the love of God, steadfast love of God. Uh, it's been a theme in the lyrics and the music that we've been singing. It's this theme of what uh, Nina shared. I just think that there's... Uh, it's definitely the theme of this message, as you're going to discover. I think that you should be encouraged by the fact that God is, uh, especially for some of you here today, God is intending this to be a real blessing for you. And I think it will be a blessing to everyone. This is a great passage about the love of God, the steadfast, loving kindness of God. So I hope that you're all encouraged by that. Over the past long weekend, I visited my girlfriend, Laura, in Pennsylvania, where we celebrated a late Valentine's Day. And over the course of our dinner conversation, uh, she mentioned how much she enjoyed the movie adaptation of Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility, which I'm sure some of you have heard of. So we agreed to watch it together. And for those of you who don't know the story, Jane Austen wrote this in 1811, using the historic trends of the day uh, personified in two characters. So what I mean by that is that there were two kind of movements in that time. There was classicism and romanticism. Classicism was kind of Uh, rational, steady, careful wisdom. That's what kind of defined the classicalists. And then there were the romantics, and those were all the poets like Byron and people like that. They were very passionate, very strong emotion. Uh, They produced very beautiful art, uh, poetry, literature, uh, but they tended to be maybe a little bit more of the, the rogues of the time. And so what Jane Austen did was she brought those two movements together into two characters in her book. And these sisters, these two characters are sisters, these sisters are courted by several men, two of whom pursue the younger sister, the one who represents the passion and the the excitement, strong emotion. One of them is a sleazy but handsome rogue. The other one is an older, honorable man named Colonel Christopher Brandon. And Colonel Brandon has always impressed me, the character. Uh, Doubly so when I saw this film again, because I think he's a living example of the kind of man that we're going to be reading about today. He loves the girl when he sees that her affections are towards the younger, handsomer, more dashing character. He steps away honorably and continues to show her anonymous kindness and care from afar. And I'm always impressed with him because he exemplifies this kind of love that doesn't depend on the object of affection showing anything in return. His is an unrequited, totally free love. It's love that sees her interests at the expense of his own interests. When we read and study this passage in Ruth today, I think you'll find that this kind of love permeates through every sentence of these chapters. And it has a lot to teach each one of us today. So if you could open your Bibles to Ruth, the book of Ruth, just right past Judges. There's Joshua, Judges, and a little book of Ruth is nestled in there. Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to start Ruth chapter 2, starting with verse 1, and read all the way through chapter 3 to verse 11. So if you could follow along with me, and also keep your Bibles open through the duration of the message, because we're definitely going to be referencing the verses throughout it. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man by the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. 
So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clam of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some of the bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her the roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he also be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. 
And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the example of love that we're going to see coming in Ruth, in Boaz, and in you, in the way that you orchestrate this romance and in the way that you fulfill your promises to Abraham, to Moses, just bringing your godly line down through the centuries from, Abraham, from Adam all the way to Christ. Thank you for this love, which is so evident. And I pray that this will be encouraging to us today as we study it. In Jesus' name, amen. The sermon is really all about one word, hesed, the Hebrew word for faithful, steadfast, covenantal love. You've heard this word before. Nathan mentioned it in his sermon. My dad mentioned it in a sermon a couple of months ago. This probably isn't a new word to you, but it's worthwhile going over the concept again. This isn't a love that's based on attraction or indeed any sense of benefit to the person who's doing the loving. This is a love to someone that you may never see again. This is a love towards someone that curses you when you try to bless them. This is a love to rebels and to sinners and to degenerates, people who are unlovable. Hesed can be translated a few ways. The way I like is faithfulness, and I'm going to be using that throughout the message points, as you'll see. But it can also be translated as loving kindness, mercy, kindness, steadfast love. And another one of my favorites is uh, kind of a a meaning of superabundance, of more than enough. Do you get a sense of what this word means? It's a really significant word. And this only appears three times in Ruth. And if we could just bring up that slide that shows where it appears. It appears in Ruth 1.8. When Naomi blesses, may the Lord deal kindly, chesed, with you. Ruth 2.20. When Naomi is speaking of Boaz, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, chesed, has not forsaken the living or the dead. And finally, Ruth 3.10, Boaz speaking to Ruth. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness, chesed, greater than the first. So here we have the word chesed, and I'd like you to just note it throughout the whole thing. It's always being linked to God and to blessing. That's very significant. That God himself is the ultimate source of chesed, and he loves it so much that he blesses those who show it. And also notice how Ruth and Boaz both have the word applied to them. You see, in the second one, Boaz is being blessed by the Lord because of his kindness, chesed, has not forsaken the living or the dead. And you can make the case that it's applying to the Lord there, but a lot of commentators say that it applies to both. Both Boaz and the Lord have kindness that has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
And also Ruth is blessed because she's shown kindness to both Naomi and Boaz. Do you see that in verse 10 of chapter 3? One author explains that Ruth and Boaz represent a virtual embodiment of chesed love. So what's the significance of this? One rabbi, when he was speaking of Ruth, encapsulates the whole theme of this message, and I think also the book of Ruth, when he says, For what purpose, then, was Ruth written? To teach us how great is the reward for those who do deeds of kindness, chesed. Another way of putting it would be that God's kind control over all things inspires us to love others selflessly. God's kind control over all things inspires us to love others selflessly. As I mentioned, the book of Ruth is full of examples of chesed love. And we're going to focus on three examples today. The faithfulness of Ruth, the faithfulness of Boaz, and finally, how faithfulness defines the way that God shows us providential and undeserved kindness. So let's begin by looking at the faithfulness of Ruth. Uh, look at... Chapter 2, verse 11. It's really interesting that when Boaz and Ruth first meet, her reputation has preceded her. Do you see this in verse 11? Her kindness to Naomi was so remarkable and unique that all of Bethlehem was talking about it. It may be obvious, but why is kindness connected to Hesed faithfulness? Remember that Hesed is showing love to people that can't repay you, that can't show the same kind of love back. And as Nathan pointed out in his message on Ruth 1, in deciding to follow Naomi into a new land, Ruth was forsaking everything that she had known. She left her old gods, she left her family, she left her home, safety, comfort, the culture that she was familiar with, and she came to a new culture and invested her time into Naomi, who really at that time, she, she had seen better days. She was old, she was bitter, she had no wealth, no position in the world, this is by far an amazing example of someone who couldn't repay or return the kindness that Ruth was offering to her. So let's take a step back and think about our lives. In the last week, did we show kindness and love to someone that we knew could never repay us or show it back? Maybe it's a person in the office who's always putting you down and going for a promotion, maybe showing kindness and encouraging that person even when they don't deserve it. Maybe it's by giving an anonymous gift to a family who needs money and they'll never know who gave it. How can we in daily ways show kindness to people who can't repay us? God is characterized by this kind of kindness. Now, when Boaz draws attention to Ruth's kindness to Naomi, he also emphasizes something else as a nuance to that kindness, and that's sacrifice. Love always, always involves sacrifice. It's the constant companion of love. There is no expression of real love that is devoid of sacrifice, but Hesed love takes sacrifice to a new peak. Let's look again at verse 11. Boaz sees that this woman, Ruth, has given up so much to help her mother-in-law in need. And if you understand the position of Ruth, you'll understand just how much she gave up. In Israel, she was a foreigner. And really, Moabites, for the longest time, were enemies of Israel. 
These weren't people that were just, they lived next door to us. No, they were often trying to take over Israelites' property, Israelite land, trying to assert authority over the Israelites. There was a lot of stigma associated with being a Moabite woman in Israel. She was single. She had no protectors. With no male protectors in that world, without a legal system of protection, you were open to abuse, exploitation, beating, rape. These were constant and very real threats to Ruth. Back in Moab, at least she had the protection of her parents' house and all the wealth and resources that they had and a familiar and safe culture. Instead, she gave all this up for the sake of kindness to Naomi and faithfulness to the call of God. So do you find, do you find this to be inspiring for you? Do you feel motivated now when you're reading about Ruth to show so much love and care for people who don't deserve it that it actually is a sacrifice for you? Ruth is a faithful woman who embodies, fully embodies, the grace of God. What about Boaz? Let's look at Boaz, the faithfulness of Boaz. Boaz is a very remarkable man, and I don't want to, in saying that, kind of perpetuate a myth a popular Christian idea of, of Boaz as being uh, kind of a heartthrob, uh, really almost a superhero character in the book. Really, when you look at the, how Boaz is described, he's just an ordinary man. He owned land, he owned agriculture, but he wasn't very rich probably. Probably, I would say, almost definitely wasn't very handsome. He's certainly a lot older than Ruth. No, the fact that he's remarkable is because he shows... Has said faithful love and care to Ruth and to others. And I want to look at that for a second. For Ruth and Naomi, he is a protector. His fields are one of the few ones in Bethlehem where it was safe for a single foreign woman to wander around picking grain alone. He not only provided Ruth with a safe place to gather food, but even advised her not to go to other fields. He knew that the other fields weren't safe for her. He said, stay with my fields, stay with my workers, where she would be safe. And you can see that in verse 8. Do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman, he says. Then he goes even further and assures her that none of his male workers would touch her. I have not charged the young men not to touch you. In verse 9. Guys, would women feel this kind of care, protection, and respect from you? Do you conduct yourself and talk in ways that would encourage your Christian sisters to feel at ease around you? Or do they feel on edge around you? And some of you here might be thinking, maybe thinking strongly, that just because Ruth was a woman doesn't mean that she's weak or needing protection. And you're probably thinking of the abuses of protection that you've seen even in the world today. There's many cultures where in the name of protection of women, there's actually abuse happening. But it's important to remember that in the time of the judges, without laws, without a king, without a centralized government at all, there was no standard system of protection. There was no workplace sexual harassment policy. If a woman was attacked or harassed in Israel at that time, in the judges... It fell to her brothers or to her father to avenge her. That usually led to blood feuds and other things which sometimes we even see in the world today. However, there were some women, like Ruth, who didn't have a male protector. They were completely alone in the world. And for them, there was no protection of law. 
There was no police force that they could turn to. They could only rely on the kindness of random strangers to help them. The world was a very different and very scary place for someone like Ruth, no matter how strong she was. And I believe she was a strong woman. Boaz offers her safety in a world like that. And even today, I think, in, even in places like York University, for example, a very liberal, very, uh, uh, they push a lot of a feminist agenda, even there it's understood that there are sometimes that women are vulnerable to attack and abuse. It doesn't insult the strength of women to say that there's a vulnerability there. York University has instituted systems of walking people home uh, to their residences. The TDC has an in-between stops program after 6 o'clock where they'll drop women off close to their home. I don't care who you are, the issue of safety and protection for vulnerable women is still a clear and present issue in our culture. And there are some men here today who are equipped and able to offer a kind of protective care in that regard. So men, are you offering protection and care, value and respect to the woman around you? And women, do you accept this care when it's appropriate? Sometimes it's not appropriate, but when, when it's appropriate, do you, do you encourage this kind of care and protection? Boaz also offers Ruth kindness and comfort. Let's take a look at verse 13 of chapter 2. I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, Ruth says, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. Boaz drew attention to the ways that Ruth had sacrificed so much for Naomi. He not only did that, he offered her exclusive access into the best pickings of the harvest. And then not only that, he invited her into a meal that would typically be close to anyone but people that worked for him. And then, I think in the most stunning example of kindness and respect that he shows her, he serves her food. A landowner and a successful man personally serving a girl that in that society would just be ranked a little bit higher than a slave. That's probably the most stunning thing in that whole narrative. I think that the author of the book of Ruth at this point wants to amaze the reader with the kind of extravagant kindness that Boaz is showing Ruth. This isn't just a passing kindness. This isn't an afterthought. This is Boaz going out of his way to show extravagant kindness to Ruth. And I think these are shining examples to emulate. But I also want us to see something about how Boaz struggled. We can see this in his long delay. Why didn't Boaz just go for Ruth right away? Why didn't, he, why didn't he court her for a while and then ask her to marry him? Why did he treat her so kindly and generously, but nothing more? For almost what, in the passage, it looks like it's six to seven months. Some people would say, well, he wasn't attracted to her, and he only decided to do it because she actually went over to him and proposed marriage. Not really. I don't think so. If you, look at, if you look at how Boaz is coming through in the passage, Boaz is a man, a businessman, a leader, not really the sort of person to be pushed around by someone of Ruth's social standing. And in terms of his responsibility that he had to Ruth and Naomi, he had some responsibility according to the law at the time. 
But he had gone way above and beyond what the law required. He had already shown way more than what he had to for Ruth and Naomi. He gave them more than enough. In fact, if you want to get technical, really the the law of the land that would be most uh, in his mind probably at the time would be the multiple points throughout the law of Moses where it said not to marry foreign women. To keep yourself from foreign women and not be drawn in by their idols. And really, if he was looking for an out, if, if Ruth came up to him and he kind of felt forced into a marriage, if he was looking for an out, that would be a very good and very legitimate out. But no, I, I think Boaz acted because he actually really loved Ruth. He was willing to sacrifice his resources. He was willing to sacrifice his freedom. And potentially, I think maybe the, even the most, the most impactful of all, he was willing to sacrifice his hard-earned reputation among all his peers to marry a woman that many other people would consider to be beneath him. But then why didn't he make the move right away? Why did he wait until she made the first move? And again, other people have said, well, because he was, he was a self-controlled man. He knew that there was a, a kinsman redeemer that was closer to, uh, to Ruth than he was. And for those of you that might not remember, the kinsman redeemer is uh, a little clause in the Law of Moses that talked about how if a man died, his widow could marry the, uh, a brother or close family member and therefore ensured that the line of that brother was carried forward. And it's true, there was a, there was a, a rightful redeemer that was in a better place than where Boaz was. Was Boaz waiting for that guy to make the first move, do you think? Again, I don't think so. Because I think the text itself shows us a different story. If you just look at chapter 3 and look down to verse 10. If Boaz was waiting for the kinsman redeemer to make the first move, then why did he act so quickly after Ruth approached him? The only thing, the only thing that changed in his circumstance, it wasn't anything to do with kinsman redeemer, it wasn't anything else. The only thing that changed was Ruth came to him and said, will you marry me? This was enough to spur him from a slumber into immediate action. It's really, I I find it kind of funny. He knew exactly what to do, where to go, who to call. He was very quick about it. I think, frankly, that Boaz thought that Ruth was out of his league. And look at verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. I think it's pretty clear from the passage that that's one of the things that was holding him back from pursuing something with Ruth because he thought for sure she would be interested in someone younger and more attractive than him. He was not as fit as he used to be. He was probably past the comfortable age of bringing up a child. Perhaps age had left him looking battered and world-weary. He had seen suffering and he probably wore that hardship on his face and was ashamed of it. This is not something that the Bible clearly says. This is conjecture, but I think it's hopefully informed conjecture. I believe that this explains why Boaz wouldn't make the first move. He was a strong man. He was a leader. He was a man of God. 
But this woman brought out something that he wasn't used to. She was an example of life to him. She was an example of life and vitality. And Boaz probably felt like he just was sitting there with one foot in the grave and had nothing to offer Ruth above and beyond the material kindness that he had already shown. He had taken such great care of them. Would she really want more than that? And there are probably guys here who can identify with Boaz. You probably feel that you have one girl in your mind right now, and you probably feel that you don't really have a lot that you can offer that girl. You probably feel awkward and out of your league around her. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to do what Boaz did and wait and see? Now for Boaz, this is, this is a great example of how the Bible is at times not prescriptive, it's descriptive. It's describing something, not telling us to do something. For Boaz, it worked out pretty well. Ruth came up to him and proposed marriage. Most likely, that is not going to happen to you. So I would look to a different example. I would look to Ruth's example. Because if anyone had reason to think that someone was out of someone's league, it would be Ruth. She was at, again, the bottom of the social ladder, a foreigner in that culture of being a, a foreign single widow, or, or widow rather. That was huge. You couldn't just start pursuing marriage with someone else. And yet she stepped out in faith to do it. Now, she had the support of godly people. She didn't just step out on her own. She had the support and actually was encouraged to do it by Naomi. Though she thought that she was inadequate, she stepped out in faith. I think this would be a really appropriate place also to say that there are guys here that have done not what Boaz did, but have expressed initiative. And and I just want to point out, Adrian is now engaged to Bria, in case you didn't know. So Adrian is an excellent example of that initiative. Stepping out into what might have been a significant amount of risk, perhaps not, but thank you for being a living and excellent example of that sort of manliness and courage. I also want to take that idea, because some of you are thinking, well, what about Ruth? She was the one that stepped out here. What, what, what do we do with that? That's kind of, it's a bit awkward. And I think that this passage can show us that there are times when it's good and even godly for a girl to be proactive. And I want to be careful with my language, because it's not, as Driscoll says, Ruth didn't pursue Boaz, but she got in his way. I think that there's, uh, a t- there are times when it's right for a woman to take initiative and go forward in certain things. And again, you're going to notice how she didn't have, she didn't just step out on her own and just do whatever she felt like doing. No, it was Naomi who concocted a really, really weird plan and encouraged Ruth to do it, and Ruth stepped out in faith and did it. I think for, for there's, there's some people here that might be kind of confusing in their minds the idea of submission, being in submission as being equal to a kind of passivity. And I would ask you this question. Who, who in the Bible would be, in your mind, the, 
a great example of submission. Who do you think in the Bible is the best example of submission? Good answer. God himself, Christ, was in submission to the Father. The Holy Spirit is in submission to Christ and to the Father. Submission doesn't mean that you're passive and just kind of, you know, just you're, you're, you're always waiting for, you know, one, the figurehead to, to lead and do all the rules and everything. No, it's, it, there's an activeness there. There's a proactiveness there. There is a submission there. But it's more active than simply just sitting back and letting everything swirl around you. So I think this passage will show that, again, this isn't a proscriptive passage. Don't, don't do what Ruth is doing. Don't, don't step out and like propose to a guy or something like that. It's probably not the, the right application to glean from the passage. But I think it does. The passage is pretty clear that God approves of initiative and proactiveness within the context of the godly advice of others and definitely the godly advice of Scripture. I think also that you can take that and you can start to move that into all of your life. What are the risks that God is calling you to do that are in fulfillment of what you know is right? Will you do what Ruth did and step out and take risks? So, so far we've looked at the faithfulness of Ruth and the faithfulness of Boaz. And what I want to end the sermon on is a look at the crown jewel of the three points, the faithfulness of God. And I think it's so important to realize that the faithful love of Ruth and the faithful love of Boaz are just reflections and shadows of the love that God has for us. Ruth's kindness to Naomi, for example... It's just a little reflection of God's kindness to us. Just as Naomi could never repay Ruth for the kindness that she had shown her, how can we ever repay God for the kindness that he's shown us? We have nothing to offer God, absolutely nothing that God would want from us that he doesn't already have, and yet he showed kindness to us. Ruth sacrificed for Naomi. Think of how much God has sacrificed for us. Christ was abandoned by his father. He was tortured. He was executed. On him, all of the demands and judgment of the law that we broke, that was put on him. There is no greater suffering than the suffering that Christ had on our behalf. Like Boaz, God is our redeemer, our protector. And unlike Boaz, he doesn't hesitate. There is no six-month waiting period. No, there's an immediate, God is the one initiating. God is the one that's seeking us out. God is drawing us in. It's so important, and this is, this is huge. Don't go away from this message without understanding the chesed love of God as expressed in Ruth and then seeing the love of God expressed to us today as well. Just as much and even more than Ruth and Boaz experienced it. The ultimate kindness that we can ever feel and experience is our restored friendship with God. The ultimate kindness that we can experience is 
the great cost of our sin that we never will have to face, but instead Christ faced that for us. There is no greater love than that. The ultimate kindness is the fact that the Spirit has been given to us freely and super abundantly, without measure, to take us from broken things into a new creation. Is this love real to you today? For some of you that are thinking in your minds, this love is not real to me. I'm not experiencing this kind of love. Well, this love is more than just a subjective feeling. This love is objectively true. This is the kind of love that it doesn't matter how you feel, God's love is steadfast for you. God's love will never change for you. That's the definition of steadfast love. You can't have steadfast love that's wavering. No, God's love is 100% on you, 100% for you, for all of your lives, if you've trusted and believed in Christ. If you are God's, his love is 100% for you. Do you feel that today? Do you feel that encouragement today? This should be a very encouraging message for you. I hope it is. Even though God is not mentioned directly in the book of Ruth a lot, he's mentioned a few times, but not a lot, you can see his fingerprints all over the pages of Ruth, all over the narrative that we read, all through a romance that maybe doesn't seem to include God directly. He's very, very much there. And this is perhaps the most profound truth in Ruth, that the loving kindness, the faithfulness of God is most clearly seen in the way that God plans each random event to lead to the most unexpected blessings. We don't have time to explore the features and the rationale of Naomi's plan in chapter 3, but as I said before, it's incredibly strange. It's risky, it's suggestive, it seems unwise when you're first reading it. What father here would ever advise their daughter to take matters into their own hands in terms of relationship, dress up, put on makeup, look all pretty, go into a field at night, which normally only prostitutes would do, go to the only man that had ever shown kindness to her, uncover his feet, which is itself pretty suggestive, propose, like that, I I guarantee there's no, no father here that would suggest that to his daughter. And yet Naomi made that suggestion to Ruth. It's a huge risk. So many opportunities for this plan to fail. And I think one of the most evident instances of the faithfulness of Ruth is that she stepped up, she took that risk, and in taking a huge risk there, she fulfilled the plan of God that is the plan of God throughout the whole of Scripture. And all you need to do is you need to read, if you go to the first chapter of Matthew, for example, and look at the genealogy, you see that starting from Adam, there's a line, a godly seed, as a lot of biblical theologians will call it, that is preserved through the ages. And one of the, one of the only, normally it mentions just the fathers, but then there's a couple points where it mentions the mothers as well. Ruth is one of the only instances of a mother being mentioned. She, in the line of succession, she and Boaz got together. They had a son who had a son who had another son, I believe, and then King David. And then from King David, further generations down the line, King King Jesus. So the risk taken by Ruth led to a huge reward for all of mankind. Think of it. If Ruth didn't take that starting risk, God could have chosen another way, but God's, God's plan was to use Ruth's risk 
to get together with Boaz to produce, in the end, Son of God. Ruth had faith in the sovereignty of God. Unlike Boaz, who allowed his anxieties and doubt to cripple his faith and keep him from taking an initiative. And I think that's a crucial point. When you understand God's faithful love towards his people and his sovereign rule over everything, it means that the sacrifices that you make, it means that the love that you show, steadfast love that you show, and it means the risks that you take will never go unrewarded. And I want to back that up because that's a significant point. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Whether in this life or in eternity to come, if you invest your life into steadfast love and faithfulness, you will always have dividends returned to you. This is one of the safest investments that you can make. Chesed love, loving kindness, faithfulness to God is never wasted. And so let's, in closing, just think about this practically for us. What would risky faithfulness look like to you? What would risky love look like to you? Is there a risk of getting burned or rejected or mocked or ignored when you demonstrate kindness to maybe a person that you're thinking of right now? Someone that probably couldn't repay you. Let's just look at that amazing promise again in chapter 12. or Sorry, verse 12 of chapter 2. Let this sink in. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Trust in the faithful, loving, kind, sovereign rule of God to reward those who cultivate faithfulness in their lives. That's God's promise. Let that verse sink in for you. You will not go unrewarded. God promises that when you are demonstrating that love, you're taking refuge under his wings and he will reward you. It could be in this life, it could be in the next life, but there is a reward for those who reflect the steadfast love that he has for all of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this love story that demonstrates faithfulness. Not only the faithfulness of Ruth, and not only the faithfulness of Boaz, but demonstrates the faithfulness of a God who controls all of history. Demonstrates the faithfulness of a God who cares about the details of the lives of those who are his. Thank you for the love that you show those who are yours. I pray here today, right now, that if there are people that are feeling like they want to experience this kind of love, but they don't think they have it, they haven't, they haven't placed their full trust and confidence in Jesus, they're trying to run their lives themselves, I pray, Lord, that you would open up their eyes to see the futility of self-love but instead that they would embrace the steadfast love that you offer them in Christ to take their sins, to 
take their guilt before you and to restore that broken relationship that they know that they have before you right now. I pray that you would do that. And Lord, for those people here today who are experiencing a lack of faith for your steadfast love, that they know it intellectually, but they haven't experienced it recently in their lives, I pray that you would open up your gates, the floodgates of your love to them in ways that are tangible. Lord, your love is objective. Your love is not something that we think of and we we conjure up feelings in our own hearts and we feel loved. No, Lord, you love us regardless of how we feel. So I pray that that truth would impact their mind, their heart, and that in doing that, in having faith in you, that they would begin to subjectively feel that experience of love in a way that would encourage them and comfort them and bless them and give them peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.